0: The will of God, kind of thing that He says in everything: give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. If you want to know what God's will it is will is that's to open up your mouth and give Him thanks and to give thanks to other people. It's an important part of the Christian life and walk. It's a serious matter because as we saw a couple of weeks ago, it is one of the signs. One of the signposts along the journey towards end times. He said, your world will become perilous. There will be all these kind of things. But in the middle of all that list of evil that we know is going to happen, there is that word ungrateful, unthankful. It is a sign when people lose all sense of thanksgiving that that's a mark of what's going to happen. So we understand and we've talked a lot about that. We ought to be thankful people about everything. Thanks to God, thanks uh, from me to him, and as uh, I expressed, we've done that this morning, giving praise, giving thanks, but it's uh, his heart towards us, earth, heaven to earth, earth to heaven, from me to you, from glib to serious, and from God's will to mine, that he gives me command. And then we began to talk about what Jesus began to, ta- to say, is do not worry. We're in Luke chapter 12, verse 22, then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they don't sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds! How much more valuable you are than birds! It's amazing. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life, or some translations say a cubit to your height, 18 inches, you can't do it. Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these, if that is how God closed the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow is thrown fie- into the fire, how much more will he close you, O you of little faith? And don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it, for the pagan, world's run- the pagan world runs after all such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom first, and these things will be given to you as well. Verse 32, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How have you done? How has your battle gone this week concerning the matter of don't worry? Don't worry. Any uprising and worry come bursting into your life over something, something break down, something happened, some situation happened to a family member. Uh, I wrote this week in the P.J. Connection about our granddaughter, Roddy Grace. And I wrote to you about what happened and, and uh, when worry bombarded our minds. You see, that wasn't just a simple matter that she was experiencing. Those DK, DKA's, I think they're called, it's with the diabetic issues because she's type 1 diabetic. And it bombarded our brains. It came at us. And what did we do? I think we took her, her, uh, her uh, plan. <laughs> we prayed. Uh, we cast all our cares upon the Lord. We said, God, Ronnie belongs to you. She has all her life since she took her first breath. First breath. And we said, Lord, uh, we, we cast our cares upon him. We've take, we took every thought captive, and, and uh, I want to thank all of you who joined Judy and me in prayer and the family in prayer. She's back. Uh, she had an amazing experience in the hospital about how God took care of her. I wrote about that. Many of you read that. Um, and uh, she's back. She played volleyball yesterday in the uh, conference volleyball game, and they won, and she did well. But her story was in seeing Jesus. Seeing the Jesus and, the, and God's presence in the midst of the storm, in the, in the midst of a situation that could have been very hard on her, shutting down bodily uh, organs, dehydration, a bunch of different things in that situation. But it was a testimony of God's greatness and love for her. And I learned that, and so should you learn that, that in the midst of the trial, what do we do? We cast our cares upon the Lord, we don't worry, and we lift up our eyes in faith to a God who's more than enough. He is more than able to do that. So we wanted to share our story about a granddaughter, but like I said earlier, the Bible's full of stories like that. Your life is full of stories like that, that we move into that. So here is Jesus is teaching his disciples And my hope and my uh, desire would be that all of you have become disciples of Jesus. Not just mouthing the words, but living the life of that. Saying, I belong to Jesus. I've given my life to him. And these were followers of Jesus. And he said to his disciples, verse 22. Look, you can see it right down there. To his disciples. He didn't say it out there to the crowd of people who are filled with anxiety. Filled with worry. He turned right to his own. He said, people, disciples... Followers of mine, I got some women in the group. I have some men in the group. Come on, all you disciples, listen, don't worry. Now, that was 2,000 plus years ago. Don't worry. Don't be concerned about what's going on. And then he said, and, and then the issue of the disciple who grabs hold of eternal life, we've talked about that in the last number of weeks, grabs hold of that, is at rest, is at peace, shalom. In, is not in a state of worry and anxiety. I want to remind you, just uh, by way of review, keep you thinking about this, of how Satan's attack of worry affects us. Number one, worry is an enemy of faith in God. It says God doesn't know about it, God doesn't care about it, and even if he did, he couldn't do anything about it. That's worry. I mean, it's really sort of crazy when you think about it. Why am I all uptight and worry about things? Isn't it because I sort of have this idea that God might not even know where I am? Isn't that crazy? The omnipresent God who is everywhere present, and I've belonged to him. He said, Jesus said, my father and I will live in you, make our abode in you. I've given you the Holy Spirit within you. And we say, I don't know if he knows where I am. Can I just tell you? He knows where you are. Turn to somebody and say that. God knows where you are right now. Right now. <laughs> Some of you just had this shock look, he does. <laughs> he sees me in church today? Where, ought, where should you be? Right here. <laughs> Gathering with God's people. He sees, see, worry is an enemy of faith. And our mind is drawn away because the second thing about worry is it distracts us, it focuses. On the wrong things gets us distracted from truth and what God is really saying we used to have a older uh, couple of, uh, they moved to Florida years ago and I remember him saying this one time I wrote it down Charlie Buck if some of you would remember Charlie he said worry uh, worry is like a rocking chair you rock all day expend a lot of energy but you never get anywhere Just walk all day on the porch, expend all the energy, but you've never left. You're right there. So worry distracts you. you. You don't go anywhere. Worry is destructive. We all know that in our world with COVID and everything, one of the things that people who really want to see what's going on are saying people are suffering with anxiety and issues that are caused by fear. Not the COVID itself, but the fear that somehow I might get it or somebody else might get it, and I'm worried about it, and then my whole insides falls apart. My blood pressure rises. I can't think straight. Even our children in school, they're filled with fear. That's a tool of the enemy because worry is destructive. And we've got to walk in faith and teach our children to walk in faith that God is more than enough to see me through and to see you through. He's there for us. Now, the fourth thing about worry is that it is deceptive. It's a liar. Can I say that again? That worry that you're hanging on and inviting into your mind is a liar. What is worry going to do? It's going to give you false information about God. Well, first of all, about life. Verse 23. Don't you know uh, about your body? Verse 23. For life is more than food. You're worried about that, but life is more than that. He says that over and over in this passage. Jesus teaches about it. It will give you a false view of God. Verse 24, God feeds them. Verse 27 and 28, um, God clothes the ground. God God cares. See, See, again, it's what I say. What does worry do? It gives you a false view of God, but it also gives you a false view of who you are. Aren't you more valuable than that? Aren't you more valuable than this? And his teaching that we went over last week was about food and clothing, fitness, future finance, all those kind of things that we get bottled up with, activities, and our ambition, ambitions. He said, uh, uh, the pagans run after these things. Let's just say a group of people are together walk, standing around, they're just talking about what life is going on, and one individual walks away. Have you ever said, wow, are they ever fearful? Boy, do they have worry going on. As they walk away, you don't say anything to them, but what's pouring out is worry. Let me ask you this. When you walk away from the conversation, what are people left with? Are they left with faith? Are they left with belief, trusting God? And a, a, a biblical mind says, that says, oh yeah, it's bad, but guess what? Our God is victorious over all that stuff. And all of us ought to be filled with a little bit of more faith right now to trust in God. Or to when I walk away, do they say, boy, is he really worried? Well, you really want to go back, tackle him, get him down, smash him in the mouth. No, no, you don't want to do that. That might be what you feel. Don't do that. The idea is we encourage each other daily, the Bible says, the more so when you see the day approaching. Encourage, build up. There's an old story back in the days when police stations... uh, were uh, the place where everybody went to to pay their fines. You didn't mail them in. You had to walk into the police station, into the front part of the police station, pay a $3 uh, parking fine or whatever. And a man wrote a story about that one time. He said, uh, as I entered the police station to pay a parking ticket uh, fine, a parking fine one evening, I noticed an old lady just ahead of me who was trembling all over I paid my $3 fine and was about to leave when I saw the lady sitting on a bench in the corner, absorbed in a book. What's the trouble, I asked. Is there anything I can do for you, I asked. Oh, no, thank you, she said. You see, I was sitting at home all alone reading this scary mystery, and I got so scared, I came down to the police station to finish it under police protection. Only in the world can that happen. <laughs> so I'm, gonna be, I'm not going to throw my book away. I'm just going to come down and sit in the police station to get some police protection while I read my book. You know how crazy it is. But what do we do? We just camp out, isolate, get down. Okay, I'm going to worry. Now, in this take action, don't worry, we talked about Thanksgiving as a cure for that, to be thankful but I want to talk about what the world pursues. Verse thirty, look down, at verse through twelve thirty. And this basically is review, but I think it's important we go over it again. For the pagan world runs after all such things, all such things, the such things. They not only keep me from faith and trusting and peace; it keeps me from the atmosphere of heaven. We've talked about, grab hold of the eternal life to which you're called. Bring heaven into your world. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my earth, where I live, as it is in heaven. Bring that in. But what does worry do? It chases away and keeps me from that atmosphere of heaven, the atmosphere of the Lord. But it also keeps me from following Jesus. Worry does. Now, Jesus gives stories of people too concerned about this stuff to follow Jesus. Let's go back to Luke chapter 9. Look at just his, his words as he's talking to disciples. Verse uh, chapter 9, back a couple pages. Look at verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, I could dive into that, but you get the point. People were saying, I would, but I would do this, however... I've got other things I need to take care of. Look over uh, to chapter 14. In the book of Luke, he writes this over and over. Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. So it wasn't an isolated thing. Look down to verse 16. Luke 14, verse 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Jesus said over and over again, he said, you can disqualify yourself from a relationship with God, a relationship of walking with him and enjoying the food at his table and walking in his power, walking in his strength, if you put up all the excuses why you can't do it now. That's an important word for us, church. I mean, I believe that gone are the days we can say, well, next year we'll do it. Oh, man, we got lots of time. We got lots of time for this stuff to happen. I remember, uh, I was gonna say back in my naive days, but I've had so many of those, I don't know what what year that was when I was naive. But I went to South Africa, and um, I was with uh, Pastor Dave Fisher. He and I went to look at a mission outreach uh, outside of Johannesburg up towards the Mozambique border. We're sitting in the bed and breakfast that we're staying in in Johannesburg, and there the, uh, the, the, the people that ran the bed and breakfast had the TV on. And all they were watching was Jerry Springer. And I don't know how many of you remember Jerry Springer, but he would bring on the weirdest, strangest, crazy people that he could find, and they would beat on each other, fight, scream, tear each other. Anybody, don't say you watched it, please. But anyway, uh, you won't admit it, but you know what I'm talking about, right? All right, so I'm sitting there in South Africa. I said, why are you watching this? This is not true. I have never seen anybody like that in my whole life. And you get the impression that America's like that? I've never seen anybody like that. I came home and saw six people just like that. <laughs> I said I said, "Oh my goodness. I uh, I was naive. I didn't see and know that people are crazy. People are doing things. People are out of touch, so concerned about stuff. So concerned about all these things that they're not receiving the truth of the word of God. They're not walking in this. So we need to be alert and be aware of what's going on, but walk in this. Everybody had an excuse. Now the believer, go back to chapter 12. We're looking there. Back to chapter 12. The real qualified disciple takes hold of eternal life and listens to Jesus. Luke 12, verse 31. But seek his kingdom. And all the stuff, all the things will be added to you as well. He said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'll give you all you need. It's there. And then he said, verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He gives us what we need. God's going to take care of that for us. Now, if you look down at your Bible, there it is, verse 34 and if your Bible is like mine, it has a paragraph break. It says watchfulness or something like that. It has some other words. And it gives you the impression that this is another chapter in the book. It gives you the impression the way our Bibles are set up with paragraphs, the way they try to help us get thoughts and so forth. But Jesus never took a breath. It was never a break. It wasn't, okay, class, next week we'll talk about this. It went right on the heels of... Do not worry, do not be afraid, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Jesus didn't just stay over there in the worry part or the verse 32, don't be afraid little flock, without a break he said, you've got to be ready, you've got to be ready, you've got to be in a state of readiness, dressed for the battle, ready to move, ready to go in response. I'll read it, this next part that Jesus said, and come back to this. Verse 35. Be dressed and ready, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I, t- t- truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and will have them reclined at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus told his disciples, you've got to be ready. You've got to live in a state of readiness. Back in the, in the movement of our country west, uh, when people would load up their wagons and pull the oxen and, and uh, horses, bug, they would go across the west and they would go to new lands, and they would go out there. One of the things that are those pilgrims, those ones that went west, learned to do, was to keep their eyes on the weather, because the weather was changing. And when that weather came, it would affect them. They knew how to stop, because based on weather, they learned how to, to watch out for uh, the, the terrain around them. They were uh, acquainted without looking that. They also looked about for Indian attacks, when the Indians would come and attack and robbers would come and take their goods and rob them of their money and kill them. But they lived in readiness because they were on a purposeful journey. They were going to a place. They were looking for a land. They were, had their eyes focused on something and they didn't let down their guard. Because when they did, they died. Now listen, church. We're in a day that we have got to keep our eyes open. We've got to keep our uh, alert to what's happening around us. And Jesus told his disciples 2,000 years ago, you be the servant who's ready, watching, waiting for the master to return. Are we loving his return? Are we looking for Jesus' return? In the King James Version Bible, which some of you may have this morning, it doesn't say, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Same word, thoughts, but it uses different wording. That's the, the, the verses I grew up when, in. It said, let your loins be girt about and your lights burning. Let your loins be girt about. Now, uh, that's a phrase we don't have very often around here. Uh, It's not an understood one. What in the world does that mean? But Jesus' audience knew the term having your loins girded. What that meant. Actually, it's an Old Testament concept. It was something that they knew in their life. Let's go back. Let's do a quick Bible study. Go back to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 is the... The time when the Israelites were being held by Pharaoh and God said, listen, you get ready because something's going to happen. The Passover's going to come. You take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost because when the death angel comes by, you've got to be ready and ready to go. Look at down Exodus 12, second book of your Bible. Look down at verse verse 10. Verse 10. I don't want to do the whole study, but you, I think you know it. They're talking about the meat that's ready. Don't leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you're to eat that Passover meal. You must eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Eat it, tuck in your cloak, and get ready to go. Ready for the journey to begin. Look over in verse 33. Verse 33. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country for otherwise they say we'll all die. So the people took their dough with the yeast they added and carried it on their shoulders. It's kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. And they did as Moses instructed. Now, they were ready to go on the journey. They took their cloak and tucked it in. They girded up the loins they took of that, that long robe that they wore, that was Middle Eastern, they wore it all the time. It was cool, it was warm, did everything they needed to do. But when it was time to move, it, it caused them to stumble. I was going to go back and look in all of our decorations for all of our VBSs that we had, and I was going to get a big robe and prove it, but I decided that that would be... You'll get the picture. You reach down and you grab the bottom of your robe and you bring it up and tuck it in. So now all of that loose cloth down there is wrapped up and it's tucked in and you're ready to go. That's the picture. So God tells them, Moses, you're going to tell them this. God says, now listen, this is how I want you to get ready. I want you to grab up all that loose stuff, pick it up, tuck it into your belt, and now you can move. You're unhindered. There's nothing uh, to hinder you. Now let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18. I'll give you a couple more. 1 Kings chapter 18. First, uh, Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First Kings, chapter eighteen, and verse forty-six. This is Elijah, and he has just uh, come through the the battle uh, at on uh, on Mount Carmel. There, in verse forty. Let's go to 44. The seventh time the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky sky blew black with clouds, The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So now we see a picture... I'm Not only this is a command at Passover, now Elijah, I'm going to empower you to do something that's impossible for man to do. And that's how out to, to outrun those horses out there. But you tuck in your garment, grab it up, tuck it in, and move. Now go to 2 Kings chapter 4. You still with me? Or are you still worried about that garment we got? Going along? Uh, gird up the loins there. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, and run. This is when there was a sick child. The Shunammite's son was, had died, and she calls out to Elisha. He says to Gehazi, you take my staff, you tuck in your belt, because you got something to do. You run, and we're going to see healing here. Well, they came, and the boy was raised up. Go back to your uh, New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Some of you are saying, I didn't come to church to learn about robes and girds, I mean girding up. <laughs> but you've got to get the picture. The Bible uses it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Again, it's not translated in the NIV like it is in the uh, king james version but it says therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when jesus christ is revealed at his coming in the king james it says wherefore gird up the loins of your mind gird up the loins of your mind get those loose ends tangled Take that robe of yours, that stuff in your life, get it tucked in where it belongs so that you can run freely, that you can be prepared without hindrance. Reach down and grab it. Now, go back to Luke chapter 12 and we'll bring this together. Luke chapter 12. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Don't you worry. Don't you be afraid. Be dressed. Gird up the loins of your mind. Gird it up. Get your, get your lamps burning. I'll talk a lot about that. Take care. You take care of this in order that you are ready and watchful. Rick Renner writes some very interesting things about this subject. Because he said, if we don't deal with the loose ends that exist in our minds and our emotions, if we don't correct those parts of our thinking that we know are wrong, if we don't grab hold of all the dangling areas in our thinking to put them out of the way, remove them by the authority of the word of God, then, he said, we're choosing to permit things to exist in our lives that will hinder our steps and slow us down in our race and our ability to successfully walk with God the issues of those things in our life you see Jesus is teaching his disciples here he said you get dressed and you be ready and keep your lamp lit Hebrews 12 it says that Jesus for the joy set before him wrapped up all the loose end of his life and for joy set before him endured the cross despised the shame and is now sat down at the right hand of the father one more verse go to John chapter 14 John chapter 14, John chapter 14 and verse 30. John 14, verse 30. Jesus talking to his disciples again, these last words that he gave prior to the Passion Week and prior to the cross. Let's look just at verse 30. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming, and he has no hold over me. But if he when he comes, so the world might know that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded of me. The Amplified Version says, "When the prince of the world, that evil genius, ruler of the world, comes, he has no claim on me. He has no power over me, nor anything." that he can use against me. Nothing. Jesus is saying the enemy is coming and he can't find anything in common with me. He has nothing to find in me. There's nothing in me that belongs to him. He has no power over me. You see, the matter of walking with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit is allow him to cleanse me, to guard my mind, to guard my heart, to wash me with his words, so that when Satan comes knocking at your door, he doesn't find you home. Because that's not your home. You're living with Jesus, you're in his kingdom, you're living in Zion, the place of the king's rule, and you're walking with him, and Satan says, well, I guess I can't find anything there. Jesus said, he doesn't have anything over me. He can do what he wants. He's going to do what God allows him. You see, this matter of readiness means that I'm ready. I'm prepared. My lamp is lit, present tense. That lamp is being kept burning. I'm filled with the Spirit. I keep at it. And far too much of life is what I said earlier. It's all about excuses. Well, I'll get at this later. I'll begin living when I get more money in my pocket. I'll get more, uh, and I'll defer until this happens. I'll put this off to a later date. Spiritually, some people, I pray there's not one here that would say, I'll get right with God someday. Get right with him today. Get right, make things right right now. Live for Jesus right now. Live for him. Jesus said, they're going to see that I do what my father says. We want to be like Jesus. The old movie Gone with the Wind, Charlotte O'Hara's attitude was, no, I'll think about that tomorrow. I'll think about it tomorrow. Everything's tomorrow. No. It's time, church, that today's the day of salvation. Today's the day I walk in. Today is a day that I do not worry. I don't walk in fear. And I'm getting dressed and ready. I'm girding up the loins of my... I'm pulling that stuff up and I'm dealing with it so I can run the race Like Paul said, run the race. We need his freshness to come on us this morning. Worship team, if you'd come, as you would stand together with me. Holy Spirit, just come on us today. Lord, allow us to hear you, to be ready, to gather up the loose ends, to be watchful. Lord, we want to be ready. It's going to be good that we're ready when you come. Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see And Lord, this morning, in the moments that we've had this all morning with worship, and now as we've looked into your word, Lord, thank you that you invited us into your sanctuary where you can talk to us. Holy Spirit, just breathe on us afresh today. It's our desire, as only you can do. Fill us fresh today, I pray, in the name of Jesus.